songwriting and music publishing, copyright basis, basic copyright concepts. What are all these rights you get? Just for the copyright monopoly, commercial mechanic license, 16 publishing companies and major income sources, publishing overview, sources of income, public performance royalties, more about mechanical royalties, streaming and download, music modernization act, 17, even more publishing income, synchronizing and transcription license, samples, firm, sub-publishing, Printed music, controlled composition clauses, maximum rate per song, maximum rate per album, EPs, and singles, bonus section, how to set up a publishing company, suite, songwriter, co-publishing, and administration deals, songwriter agreements, what's in the pot, charges against royalties, copyright ownership, single song contracts, term songwriter agreements, pop quiz, Co-writes song written by two or more writers. Creative control, reverse of copyright, administration agreements, co-administration agreements. Now look where you are. Advanced copyright concepts. Who owns the copyright? Works for hire. Duration of copyright. Right of termination. Public performance of masters. What happens when someone rips off your copyright? Even more advanced copyright concepts. Sound recording copyrights, how to terminate a copyright transfer in your spare time for fun and profit. Sweet. Extension rights, the copyright notice, registration and deposit, more rights, group issues, group provisions and record deals. Tribute quiz. Journal group deals. Let's let's get to this. I just want to get to this. I'm just going to let the touring Merchandising, classical music, motion picture music. This 10th edition is the most extensive rewrite of my book since the first edition. That's because the music industry has changed more radically in the last few years than at any other time in its history. Let me explain. Since the 1890s, music has been monetized by selling something. Wax cylinders, piano rolls, shellac records, vinyl records, cassette CDs, and cheesy merchandise. Well, I guess we're still doing it. But the business is no longer based primarily on sales. Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, YouTube, and similar service has revolutionized how people consume music. So that streaming is now the dominant revenue source for music, recorded music. And this change is way more drastic than you might think. Consider this in the past when record sales were the mainstay of the record recorded music business. You would go to a record store and buy two or three records at a time. Today, you can only stream one song at a time. That may, that, that may not seem like a big deal, but in the days of sales, an artist was paid the same money for each record. So regardless of whether a buyer listened to it a thousand times, or even took it out of the shrink wrap and used it as a door st- doorstop. But today, okay, we're still playing. But today, where am I? But today, the more listeners you have, the more money you make. However, in the old days, 
If my record sold big numbers, it didn't make any difference to the number of sales you had. Your fans would buy your albums, and my fans would buy mine. In fact, if you had a big seller, it would bring a lot of people into record stores. And that increased the chances of selling my records. But in the streaming world, that's no longer true. For reasons we'll discuss later, the more listeners you get, the less money I make. A truly radical change. The good news is that after 15 years of music revenue, falling like buckets of rocks, we had our first earning increase in 2016. And every year after that, we've had double-digit growth all because of streaming. We still have ways to go. At the time of this writing, the recorded music business is less than 60% of what it was at its peak in 1999. But I predict it's going to be bigger than it ever been in history. Why? In 1999, the historical peak of the music biz. An average CD buyer spent about 40 to $50 per year on CDs. Let's call it 45 Today, with the subscription priced at $10 per month, the average per subscriber fee is about $7 because of student and family discounts. So let's use $7 per month, which means a music fan spends about $84 per year. That's almost double the 45 of CD purchases we got from each fan in the good old days. On top of that, the number of subscribers is growing all over the world. But wait, there's more. In the heyday of the music business, the average CD buyers stopped going to record stores or even listening to too much music. In their early 20s today, people of all ages subscribe to streaming services. Hosters listen to the Lawrence Welp and youngsters want stuff like Baby Shark, a song that can relaxedly eat your brain, which means streaming is not only generation generating more money per user. The $84 versus 45 and the above example, but it's also bringing in a wider range of consumer that ever than ever before. How can an industry not be bigger than ever? Another radical shift in the last few years is how the concept of an album is being challenged. What does an an album mean in the streaming age when you can listen to just the tracks you like? Why should artists even bother to make albums when they can release individual songs as soon as they're ready? And if albums go... (coughs) Away, what does that mean for recording contracts that have always been based on the delivery and release of albums? For example, if your contract requires you to deliver three albums, but nobody wants albums anymore, how do you ever finish the deal? And that's just a taste of what new, what's new in this edition. There's also an update of all the current industry figures, a new section on the recent copyright and infringement cases and an overview of the Music Modernization Act and much, much more all waiting for you just inside the tent. So step right up, folks, and let me show you how the music business is shifting around like a Rubik's Cube. Open up and say, ah. 
for many years, I taught a class on the music business at the University of Southern California Law Law School Advanced Professional Program. The class was for lawyers, accountants, record and film company executives, managers, agents, and bartenders who went to manage groups. Anyway, at the beginning of one of these courses, a friend of mine, did you just turn that down? How did it go? Turn back up again. Came up to me. She was an executive at a film studio and was taking the class to understand the music business as it relates to film. She said, I'm here to open up the top of my head and have you pour in the music business. I love that mental picture because there's a lot of stuff I love to absorb that way. And it spurred me to develop a painless way of infusing you with the extensive materials in this book. So if you'll sit back, relax, and open up your mind, I'll pour in all you need to know about the music business and a little more for good measure. How I got started, I really love what I do. I've been practicing music law for over 30 years, and I represent recording artists, songwriters, producers, music publishers, film music composers, industry executives, record worker companies, film companies, manager agents, <coughs> business managers, and other assorted mutants that populate the business. I got into the gig on purpose because I've always loved creative arts. My first showbiz experience was in grade school, performing magic tricks for assemblies. I also started playing accordion in grade school. I used to play a mean accordion every winter pod when I shook the bellows on Lady of Spain, I gave it up because I found it impossible to romance a girl while wearing an accordion. In high school, I graduated from accordion to guitar, and in college at the University of Texas, I played lead guitar in a band called Oedipus and her mothers. While I was with Oedipus, we would recorded a demo that I tried to sell to our family friend, Snuff Garrett. More about him later. Snuff, a powerful record producer, very kindly took the time to meet with me. That meeting was a major turning point in my life. Snuff listened to the record, smiled, and said, Don, go to law school. So I took Snuff's advice and went to Harvard Law School. While I... was there, I played lead guitar with a band called The Rhythm Method, but it was quickly becoming clear that my ability to be in the music business and eat regularly lay along the business path. When I graduated, I first did tax planning for entertainers, tax law, like intricate puzzles. It was a lot of fun, but when I discovered there was such a thing as music law, the electricity really turned on. In fact, I took the USC class that I later taught, and it got me so excited that I left the tax practice for my current firm. Doing music law was so much fun that it wasn't even like working. I'm still not over the feeling, and I enjoyed it so much that I felt guilty getting paid. I got over that. My first entertainment law experience was representing a gorgeous six-foot model referred to me by my dentist. I promised him I would return a favor since most of my clients had teeth. 
the model was being pursued, I suspect, in every way by a manager who wanted a contract for 50% of her gross earnings for 10 years. We see how absurd this is when you get to chapter 3. Even then, I knew this wasn't right, so I never see called up the guy to negotiate. I still remember my voice crackling as I said his proposal was over the industry standard, which most managers took only 15%, which was true. He resorted with, oh yeah, who? Well, he had me. I wasn't really sure what managers did, much less who they were. So I learned my first lesson in the art of humility as I began to really understand how the music business worked. I found that my love of both creative arts and business allowed me to move between the two worlds and help them relate to each other. The marriage of art and commerce has always fascinated me that can't exist without each other, yet the concept of creative freedom and the need to control costs in order to have a business are internally locked in a Vulcan death match, which means the music industry will always need noise. Anyway, I now Chanel channel my creative energies into innovative business deals, and I satisfy my need to perform by teaching, lecturing, and playing guitar, just to be sure I don't get too straight. However, I cycle through my weird assortment of hobbies, magic cam, radio, weightlifting, guitar, dog training, five-string banjo, karate, chess, poker, badminton, and real estate investment. I also write novels, which you are required to buy. Brain surgery. What I'm going to stop it here for my listeners, and um, I'm going to read this a little long by myself. I want some more exclusive podcasts. Y'all stay tuned. Y'all like, share, and keep coming in. Appreciate my podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.